Hello and welcome to the MyCare Champion Cast, a podcast series on key issues surrounding healthcare in Michigan and how you can help protect the health of your communities. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Laura Hall of the Michigan Health and Hospital Association, and welcome to our first episode. For this series, we are going to tackle eight different issues over the coming weeks. Every other week, I'll be joined by a local expert who can explain how issues like the Affordable Care Act, the opioid crisis, and others impact Michiganders and what MyCare Champions can do to help. MyCare Champions are a group of Michigan residents who care about healthcare in their communities. The new MyCare Matters website was recently launched and will be our home for getting involved and staying informed. This podcast series is intended to help explain some of the current issues surrounding healthcare in our state. And if there are any topics you're interested in learning more about, contact us at mycarematters.org and let us know. In this week's episode, I talked to Laura Oppel, the MHA's Senior Vice President and Chief Innovation Officer. Laura will share with us updates on the auto no-fault system and what's being proposed right now or considered to reform the auto no-fault system. I've been with the MHA for just over 17 years and I've had many different opportunities at the MHA in terms of working on all kinds of different policy issues and right now I'm doing some work on behavioral health and other things around innovation and just a number of different uh, topics but a lot of my career both at the MHA and before that has focused on the auto no-fault issue. I actually started at the Michigan, what was then the Michigan Insurance Bureau and so I've been focused on auto insurance since 1985 and it's not always been fun, but it certainly has been the Full Employment Act for me. Yeah. So um, what we're going to be talking about today is, uh, I don't know about what you mentioned, um, and we'll just jump in with talking about what exactly is the personal injury protection coverage that's part of our auto no-fault insurance. So the actual language in our law, you won't find any place where it talks about no-fault, but no-fault means that everybody is required to maintain coverage for themselves in order to be legally driving a car that they own and operate. And the actual language says that you maintain coverage for all reasonable expenses at reasonable charge for reasonably necessary products, services, and accommodations for an injured person's care, recovery, or rehabilitation. So that sounds pretty legal. What does it actually mean? It means that if you are in an auto accident and you need maybe an airlift away from the accident to a major trauma center, that's covered. Then when you're in the emergency department, that's covered and you need hospitalization, that's covered. And then all the things that follow from that, maybe you need post-acute stay in an inpatient rehabilitation center and you need somebody to help take care of you after you return home. You might even need somebody to help you take care of you for the rest of your life. That would be covered. You might have a job that requires you to stand up right now, and then after your injury, you need to use a wheelchair, so you need retraining for a job where you can do that seated. You could need uh, regular rehabilitation so that you can continue to use a, a manual wheelchair instead of a uh, powered wheelchair and that can be really important so that you can use a smaller wheelchair in tighter spaces and all of those physical therapy services are covered for the rest of your life. A lot of times people refer to this as the unlimited benefit and in fact you can see from that initial language that I read 
that it always must be reasonable or reasonably necessary. So it's not a free check. It is required to be demonstrated that you really do need these services and they are appropriate to the injuries that you sustained. So if you sustained a broken leg and that healed nicely within a few months, then at the end of that, your personal injury protection benefit would also end. But if you sustained an injury when you were a small child and you were respirator dependent for another 40 years, then your personal injury protection benefit would follow you for the entire course of your life. So why does Michigan use the no-fault system while other states don't? In the early 1970s, many states went to a no-fault system. No state went to it to the extent that Michigan did, and a lot of states didn't impose the right balance between eliminating lawsuits and, and adopting no-fault. The idea behind no-fault in general was to eradicate the problems that are inherent in the tort liability system, meaning the lawsuit system. Using lawsuits to adjudicate auto accidents resulted in long payment delays, very high legal costs, an overburdened court system, and many times before people got their bills paid after a catastrophic accident, they ended up declaring bankruptcy. In some states where they still use the tort system, that still happens. I guess just to clarify, so what the purpose of the auto no-fault system was when we implemented it was to try to take out all the legal red tape and all the you know, lawyers and processes just to get people the care that they need and the physical therapy and things like that as quickly as possible. Is that? Yes, not only as quickly as possible, but also to make sure that those bills weren't hanging over their head and, you know, delaying their treatment. Our, our primary goal when somebody arrives at the hospital after an auto accident is to get them into the trauma unit that they need and get their care started you know, as quickly as possible because as we know about these, you know, serious injuries, we have very little time to really make the, the critical difference to help people's survival not only be that they stay alive, but that it be as successful as possible. And, you know, the, the people that work in our trauma centers are remarkable people. Um, we can save lives now that were never anticipated under the initial no-fault law, and that's part of the reason why the benefit is more expensive now. We can save people uh, with head injuries that were never able to be saved when no-fault took effect in 1973. And the other thing about our emergency departments is they are available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So whether or not you show up, we're making sure that they're available. And so we're making sure that all of the physicians and nurses are in place, all of that equipment is there and ready. It's a very expensive thing to maintain, but we absolutely want those things to be there so that we can deliver that patient care and repair and start healing those bodies injured in those auto accidents, you know, no matter what time they happen, no matter when. You know, different um, accidents have happened. There was the, you know, 15 years ago, that remarkable pileup on uh, uh, I-75 near Grayling, then in the probably the last 10 years there was a similar pileup on 96 here near Lansing, and you know, people needed those emergency departments. There were many injuries, there were some fatalities, it was, you know, devastating to some families, but 
I'm so proud to work for the organization that represents all of those or, um, healthcare entities that are there to serve people and serve those patients that need it. And I'm so glad we have an auto insurance system that, you know, is designed to take care of people rather than worry about how I'm going to pay for it when somebody sues me or how I'm going to sue somebody else. I really, I think that we've designed a system that worries about how we're going to do patient care and how we're going to cover people for as much as they need rather than how we're going to pay for lawsuits. So auto insurance often blame high insurance rates on medical costs. Um, is it true that hospitals are charging car insurance companies more when somebody when they're treating an auto accident victim? Uh, under a federal requirement, hospitals have to charge everyone the same amount, and that means we charge uh, people who have Blue Cross coverage the same amount as we charge people who have no third-party benefit at all. But what we accept is payment can vary from payer to payer, and that has a lot to do with any the same way any other market-based system does. If you have a lot of business with an organization, you get a more substantial discount than if I come in and just buy something one time. So for example, uh, an organization that buys a fleet of cars from General Motors probably gets a better deal than, than I do when I go buy a car once every six, seven, or even 10 years. The same thing happens with what hospitals charge and then what they accept as payment. And hospitals accept as payment from auto insurers under the law, charges are the rule, but what we accept as payment is sometimes negotiated. Sometimes they have a set uh, price uh, or uh, acceptable uh, payment of a 10% discount from their charges. It can vary from hospital to hospital. And I would also add that Every hospital's charges are different and set differently because it is a competitive marketplace and then what they accept as payment is set differently and that's true across the board whether the third party payer is an auto insurer or not. Okay. And so why is car insurance so expensive in Michigan and especially in Detroit? Well, what we've seen develop in Detroit is that there seems to be there seem to be two problems. One in the city, there is evidence that the average claim is much higher, three times higher, than the average personal injury protection benefit claim in the rest of the state. So their average claim is somewhere in the range of $75,000, whereas the average claim in the rest of the state is about $25,000. And auto insurance premiums tend to be a function of the claims going in and the premiums coming out. So if their claims are that much higher, then their premiums are also going to be higher. We, we aren't sure why that is. In other cities around the country, um, in New York City, they have a similar issue where the average claim is more than twice as high in New York City as it is in the rest of New York State. They attribute it there to what they call both um, enhancement or upcharging of claims as well as outright fraud. We also see in the city that what I mentioned earlier where we're trying to eliminate lawsuits from our system and have everybody just use their own auto insurance to get their 
medical or other care needs covered by their own auto insurer after an accident, there are an awful lot of lawsuits happening in the city. You see a lot of billboards around the city uh, ask, you know, encouraging people to use the uh, legal system to resolve their claim. That's not how No Fault was designed. No Fault was designed to exactly to get that out of the system and so that we would just say, hey, you had an accident. We're not going to worry about who was at fault. Now we're going to get your bills paid. People are actually suing their own insurance company to get their bills paid at certain levels and maybe for claims that are not entirely appropriate care that might not have been necessary. So if they're running a system of lawsuits plus the system of first party payment where your auto insurer takes care of the services that you need after your accident, that's very expensive to run two systems at once and that might contribute to the, to the auto insurance rates at all as well. We also have a, some questions about exactly how rates are set. You might have seen in the news recently that people are rated based on their education attainment, based on uh, whether or not they're employed, uh, what their marital status is, if they've become divorced, whether or not they rent or own their home. And I would venture to guess that more people that unemployment in the city is perhaps higher at a higher percentage than it is in some other areas of the state. That education attainment might be lower in parts of the city than it is in other areas of the state. If if people are being rated that way and rated negatively, uh, auto insurers are setting higher insurance rates for people that have a high school diploma compared to somebody that have a, has a bachelor's degree. Auto insurers are setting higher insurance rates for people that rent their home instead of paying a mortgage. If there are a higher percentage of people in the city that have those circumstances and auto insurers are rating that way, which I uh, understand that they are, then that would Im uh, affect their rates as well and, and end up raising their, those rates. We believe that there are abuses in the auto insurance uh, system. We think that people are taking advantage of the lifetime benefit. Uh, healthcare services need to be um, appropriate. As I mentioned earlier, they should be reasonable and necessary. When people are severely injured, they need the trauma services that our hospitals provide. But um, if other people are taking advantage and using unnecessary services or even fraudulently charging for services, you know, that's going to kill a system that has really been incredibly beneficial for people who are catastrophically injured. And we are all about trying to eliminate that fraud and abuse so that we can keep making sure that things like emergency and trauma care are available 24-7 and that we can um, keep this really terrific system that cares for people uh, that are catastrophically injured for the rest of their lives if necessary. Um, could you give an example of what, you know, how, how would I, if I was injured in a car crash today, how could I even, what could be considered fraud or abuse, I guess? I would say that if you are injured in an accident and it's very, you know, the accident is quite minor and you feel very, you know, maybe you, maybe you went to the emergency department because somebody said, you know, you should make sure that you didn't suffer a, a concussion or something like that. And a few days later, someone approached you, whether it was, uh, you know, 
whoever it might be, someone approached you and said, I think you ought to get checked out more, you know, like someone solicited you for any kind of medical services or legal services. Um, if somebody's tried to encourage you to have um, multiple uh, imaging services, especially after a very mi minor um, injury or, you know, if you had, like I said, uh, been attended and thought you had a concussion and they either said it's very mild or eliminated the possibility that you had had one and yet someone said I think you need to have a number of, of uh, images whether they're CTs or MRIs or uh, any other type of you know service like that. So it kind of all goes back to that reasonable point that you were saying at the beginning. Right. You know, if I got in a crash and you know kind of hurt my head but I'm fine it's not really reasonable for me to get five more MRIs or something like that. Especially if anybody ever says to you, you need two MRIs in one day, <laughs> you, you know for sure that that's not good. We've been very much in favor of doing uh, a lot more work on what is appropriateness of care for people that are catastrophically injured. That's been part of our work, uh, of our proposals on fraud and abuse, that not only do we get the um, bad actors out of the equation, but also that we start establishing some guidelines for families and caregivers so that they have some support when people might come to them with the stuff that sounds barely reasonable, but maybe you would try it so that they have better guidance in terms of how to uh, evaluate what they might try. So kind of focusing on those people who are trying to take advantage of people who are in a car accident and already going through something so awful, instead of working on ways to, you know, potentially limit the care somebody who was catastrophically injured could end up getting, you know. Mm -hmm. So to carry on on that, what is being done to address the fraud and abuse in the auto no-fault insurance system? That's a great question because there have been legislation introduced to establish an anti-fraud bureau in our state for a number of sessions. I think we're at least on the fourth session, if not the fifth, to uh, do an anti-fraud bureau. And this is an idea that the auto insurers have promoted uh, it, it came from them, and we've supported it. Uh, the coalition that we were a part of, the Coalition to Protect Auto No Fault, has supported it. We think that this is some low-hanging fruit that we could go after, but there has been reluctance to pass an anti-fraud effort separate and distinct from other things that the auto insurers would like to see in a in a no-fault package, they would also like to see something that limits rates that are paid to hospitals and other providers. They would like to see something that potentially limits the benefit that's available under the no-fault system. They would like to limit what is paid for family-based attendant care, meaning when family members take care of people who are catastrophically injured, take care of them right in the home. They don't want to separate that one piece out. I'm convinced that if we had started going after fraud under this anti-fraud bureau program eight years ago when it was first introduced, that we could have made a lot of progress already. So speaking of that, um, and speaking of the you know different proposals out there, um, you know there's been a lot of conversation from elected officials about wanting to lower car insurance rates in Michigan. Um, what are what are you hearing about their efforts and potential reforms to auto no fault? Um, do you think the legislature will address this fraud and abuse problem? Well, it's certainly been on the radar screen for many years now. I first started working on some of the 
reform proposals in 1992, so that gives you a sense of the 25-year history of legislation around these things. Fraud and abuse has been in the more recent proposals over the last several years, and I think that whatever might get passed in the long run will include the anti-fraud effort. There is always an effort to limit fees paid to healthcare providers, including hospitals. There's almost never a concurrent limitation on uh, what auto insurers would be able to charge or how auto insurers would have to reduce their rates to reflect the reduced fees that providers would be uh, charging the auto insurers. If there is anything in terms of rate reduction for consumers, it's usually temporary and uh, not specific, it's usually an average of some sort, and it's usually specific only to the base rates, meaning that those other modifications that I talked to talked about earlier with the rates, rating factors around education, marital status, um, geographic location, meaning your zip code, or whether you rent or own your home, all of those things could then be factored in after the base rate was reduced, and so we're never sure exactly how people would see the change to their um, insurance rate despite having uh, changes to what providers are being paid or what other benefits are limited. We absolutely believe that fraud and abuse needs to be addressed first, and I think this includes trying to figure out if we're if we've let too many too much use of the legal system creep back into the no fault system we really need to make sure that we're not running a dual legal and first party system if we're doing that of course it's going to be expensive because you're really paying twice for for an auto insurance system and historically that's been shown to not be successful and that's the reason why a number of states gave up their uh, no-fault um, design many years ago and it's and it's been our in-balance system that's allowed Michigan to keep ours for 40 years compared to another number of other states that gave up. So earlier this summer the Supreme Court, the Michigan Supreme Court, considered a case that have many hospitals and care, provider, com, care providers concerned about the cost of caring for patients with no-fault claims. What's, can you give us a little background about that case and how it could potentially impact Michigan drivers and auto accident victims? Sure. This is known as the Covenant case. It was a case of Covenant versus State Farm. And what has happened over the years is when there's been a dispute about whether or not a case was reasonable or necessary in terms of the types of services that were um, offered to a, an injured person, whether or not those were reasonable and necessary, and how much those services should cost, then the dispute happened between the healthcare provider or the service provider and the auto insurer. And the covenant decision said, that's not appropriate. The only, there's no standing for that provider to sue or uh, go after the auto insurer directly. So the contract is between the auto insurer and the patient or the injured party or the, or the family member that holds the contract. And if, you know, if there's any dispute about whether or not stuff is getting paid, that's where the argument has to take place. Now, I think that a lot of people would say, 
hey, I've paid for my auto insurance for many years. Now there's a family member of mine who's been injured and I can't tell whether or not my bills are getting paid. I can't tell whether or not the hospital is telling me the bill hasn't been paid or the bill hasn't been paid in full. I'm getting checks from the insurance company. They don't make sense. Am I supposed to cash them? Are they enough to pay the hospital? Um, if I don't have enough money to pay the hospital, is the hospital going to sue me? Am I able to just assign this case to the hospital and let them deal with the auto insurer? Uh, in some cases, families have tried to assign the case back to the provider like a hospital on behalf of their minor children, and insurers have challenged them on that and said, hey, you know, only the child can assign their case, which is very difficult to, uh, to, uh, to imagine that a, a minor child is going to be in, especially one that's injured, is going to be, uh, have the capacity to do that kind of thing. And of course, as hospitals and other caregivers, we don't want to be in the position of suing our own patients to have them go back to their auto insurer and say, here's how we have to pay this case. It's really an abrogation of the entire no-fault system to have this backwards um, tracking of trying to get claims paid. It's, it's turned the no-fault um, question on its head of, you know, where we said the way that the reason we're going to use this is we're going to use a first party system where a person gets injured, the costs are incurred, the auto insurer pays those costs on behalf of the person who purchased their insurance and then suffered this injury, and we're going to minimize the, the arguments about uh, who pays and whose fault it was and how much, and we're just going to handle it very much like we handle a, like a healthcare claim and get it done and get it done quickly so that everybody can focus on what's most important which is the person's recovery especially if they are seriously injured and that's uh, been very difficult already we are still learning more about the fallout of the covenant decision and I think we're going to see more to come on this one um, again I think hospitals are trying to keep at the forefront the impact this is having on their patients and we want to make sure that that on both sides that that's what we work towards as we try to find some better resolution after this uh, Supreme Court decision. So ultimately you know what is the answer when it comes to these auto insurance rates in the state? Well I think that the first thing we need to do is take a look at the problems that we potentially have with fraud and abuse. In other states where they've studied this They've shown that um, with a small uh, uh, no-fault benefit is $10,000, whereas ours is a potentially a lifetime benefit depending on what's reasonable and necessary. Uh, a small benefit like Florida where they have $10,000, I think they saw that over 30% of what could be in a claim was either fraud or um, inappropriate upcharging or um, inflating of a claim. And I have also read that in uh, New York that they think they've seen uh, as many as one in five claims involves fraud or abuse. So if 20% of claims have abuse or 36% of, um, of claims of the amount of claim is potentially uh, fraudulent or inappropriate, I think that's the place to go first. Let's get after whatever is inappropriate uh, charges, inappropriate services, 
cut back on that. And then once we wipe that out of the system as much as possible, then let's revisit what is built into our health, and, or excuse me, our auto insurance system and see if we can, you know, remeasure uh, how the rates look. I also think we need to take a look at what's the appropriateness of some of the rating factors that are being used. Is it really appropriate to decide whether or not someone's auto insurance should be more expensive or less expensive depending on uh, where, how much uh, education they had? I mean, there are many skilled trades, uh, people that make excellent livings that would not require a bachelor's degree, but somehow they could be rated differently because they don't show a, a, um, a four-year degree on their resume. The same with people who choose to rent a home rather than pay a mortgage. Someone who's had the misfortune of becoming unemployed suddenly also has to pay more for auto insurance. Same with someone whose marriage ended. Uh, I really think there's a number of things that we need to look at uh, before we start cutting into people's um, uh, benefits. So I think um, with this podcast, we're trying to reach out to people who care about healthcare and want to do something to help. At this point, what could somebody do to help support people who, you know, will in the future be injured, you know, in catastrophic car crashes? What can they do or what could should they be watching for in the future? Well, I certainly encourage people to uh, track us at mha.org and also on our Facebook page and our Twitter account to because we'll be posting a lot of information there and I encourage people to stay in touch with their lawmaker so that they can be sure that their lawmaker is hearing from them um, on the the effort to remain reasonable on how to approach our no-fault system a lot of people think that the lifetime benefit makes our no-fault system very, very expensive. And people would say, you know, the cost of auto insurance in Detroit is, let's say, $3,500 per car, which I would absolutely agree is terribly expensive. But remember, we use a mechanism to insure ourselves for everything over $550,000 of that lifetime benefit. So after, five, after you reach $550,000, the cost of the rest of it for that lifetime benefit, on, you know, no limit other than reasonable and necessary, is $170 a year under the current um, rate. So for those folks living in Detroit at $3,500, if we capped their benefit at $550,000 with our existing structure and our existing potential fraud and our existing potential uh, you know, use of the legal system, we we're going to save them $170. And I would argue that cutting their rates from $3,500 to $3,330 is probably not going to make a lot of people jump up and down and say thank you. And yet we will have eliminated the lifetime benefit for that small amount of money, relatively small amount of money. So that's why I would encourage people to stay in touch with their lawmaker and help them understand that simply cutting back $170 and eliminating the lifetime benefit for catastrophically injured people probably doesn't make a lot of sense in the long run. In the next few weeks, lawmakers in Lansing will be considering proposals that could drastically impact drivers' no-fault medical coverage. 
There are resources and tools available on mycarematters.org to help you understand what's being proposed and help you contact your legislators to urge them to protect this coverage for car accident victims in our state. That's our show for this week. Thanks everybody for listening and thanks to Laura for being the guest in our first ever episode. Let us know what you think and if there are any questions you'd like to ask at mycarematters.org. And be sure to join us again in two weeks for the next My Care Champion cast.